Hello and welcome to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, William Liu. This is the post-draft reaction podcast. Um, you know, to be fair, this is actually, the draft is not over. Like, uh, you know, we're still, you know, in the mid-40s, late-40s right now. Um, the Pacers picked Mojave King at 47, which sounds like an excellent motel. Um but uh, yeah, you know, the Raptors, for now, it seems like they're probably done. I mean, they only had one pick coming into this. Um, you know, we did speak to Bobby Webster, general manager of the Raptors, um, shortly after the first round wrapped up. And, uh, you know, it, it sounded very much like he was mostly done there. But um, yeah, the Raptors come away using a number 13 pick on Grady Dick, who, um, you know, I think for most mock drafts had him higher than 13. But it was certainly a possibility that he would be available in around that range. And I think, um, okay, a couple things immediately. I mean, if you really want the long and short of it, it's um, the Raptors have added somebody who they expect, probably he expects as well, to be able to come in and have a very clear path to contributing, right? Like, it's a player who has good size, um, is arguably the best shooter in the draft, um, you can really watch it. It's a very, very pretty shot. Um, you know, he's able to get the shot off in a variety of ways as well. Um, a smart off-ball player. And, you know, right away you think, okay, in terms of what do the Raptors need? Well, number one necessary need on the Raptors roster was shooting. Do you have players on your team that can shoot consistently? I, I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, I go to practice you know after they're done practice and guys are getting extra shots up or pre-game you know watching them get shots up they're just not a lot of consistent shooters on this team and of course that shows up obviously when you watch um, them play on the court uh, just overall the shooting on the team just needed to improve and I think you know that's the only reason this pick might have been surprising in terms of the players available at the time of the Raptors draft at 13 was the fact that you just haven't seen this type of player drafted by the Raptors um, in this position. Now, I don't think the Raptors have been in the teens that often uh, picking, but in any case, um, uh, yeah, like they just, they haven't really focused on this type of player. And so I think in that sense, like it's it's, it's actually a good thing um, because when you think about Raptors prospects, you're thinking about, um, you know, DeLon Wright, you're thinking about Norm Powell. You're thinking about Bruno Caboclo. You're thinking about OG Anobi, who had a little bit of a profile in terms of as a catch-and-shoot corner guy, but it was so limited in terms of just trying to, you know, start from there and expand even into what he is now, which is a good shooter. But, um, you know, that, that took a lot of work to even get him to that point. Certainly wasn't like that in Indiana. Um, Pascal Siakam, uh, Jakob Pertl, right? Uh, you know, some of these, Christian Coloco, right? Like, Scotty Barnes. These guys are not shooters Delano Banton right and and so that is the bulk and that's the profile of the Raptors have taken to take uh, Grady Dick is it's a pretty market shift in terms of the way they drafted now Bobby was asked about this directly um I think by Oren Weisfield um and you know Oren asked the question and I think um you know Bobby's answer was sort of just look we we have done a this purposeful strategy of collecting more forwards and wings and we have those type of players, but we also want to find, you know, the next step, which is sort of complementing around that group. And I think that's kind of exactly the type of player that Grady will be immediately in terms of there is a clear path to him getting onto the floor. And it's his ability to shoot. 
obviously you're going to question in terms of how much is he going to stand up defensively. Um, you know, this is going to be, let's be honest, teams are going to be targeting him. Um, and that will be a genuine concern. I think what you would fall back on is the fact that, you know, he was an active help defender. Um, you know, seems pretty disruptive. 1.4 steals per game is pretty good at that level. Like, you know, to, to give you some perspective, like a guy like Fred averaged, what, uh, 1.8 uh, and when he played at Wichita State consistently, and, and he's pretty active defender in terms of just uh, how often he gets deflections. Obviously, that's carried over to the NBA level. Another guy, you know, f- for comparison, Gary Trent Jr., what he averaged 1.4 steals. Uh, well, uh, 1.2. So Grady's kind of in between that. and But there's, there, there's a level of activity defensively. You'd say he's got good hands. He certainly tries to be involved defensively in terms of he's not just a passenger off ball. He will try to dig in, stunt, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, um, when you watch the film of guys trying to go one-on-one against a guy, you know, you do see some concerns there. But let's start with the positives. I mean, he's just a phenomenal shooter. And I think that, you know, you can look at it in terms of the percentages, um, you know, just the, the basic percentages, what, 40% from three on 5.7 three-point attempts per game in college. That's pretty damn good. Um, makes him one of the best shooters in the nation. Um, and I think that... Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can, you, again, you can watch the form. A couple things stand out about it. Number one, he doesn't dip the ball very much. It, it You know, um, a lot of players dip the ball. Even good shooters dip the ball just because, you know, you bring it lower and then you're able to r- bring it up. That brings more power into the shot. Uh, it's also, for a lot of people, it's more comfortable that way. Um, but for Grady, he seems to be fairly comfortable catching and you know, not dipping it even below his shoulders almost. It, it's it's a it makes it for a shorter release, a quicker release, um, which I think probably allows him to get a shot off uh, more consistently in terms of just like leading that space for it. I think he's this. You can go online and watch the videos. I'm sure most people have. But by this point, if you're a diehard fan of the Raptors and you want to know who the Raptors have drafted, the number one thing you'll notice is the shooting. You know, even in contested looks, he's able to make those. Uh, in terms of catch and shoot, and and these are not just catch and shoot. In terms of like you know stand still in the corner, you got you got all the time in the world. Set your feet. You understand what the play is going to come to you. If the help defender is going to help off of you, you're catching and shooting in the corner with a nice pass. Like that's one type of catch and shoot. That's probably the most basic level of catch and shoot. Um, but we're talking about catch and shoot for a guy who is you know a movement shooter, a guy who consistently you see plays run for him to 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 lift up to the ball or to. You know, come off of flare screens and, and to get open um, where the primary action is to sort of involve him working off ball to sort of catch the ball. And, and so that's going to involve more footwork um, and that's going to be a lot more running into the play or maybe not being able to set your feet nearly as much. Certainly it's not the same as catching and shooting in the corners. And when you watch the film of a lot of the threes that he's made, obviously teams know what he is. Um, he's still able to get those shots off, though, because of the ability to move off the ball. And it is it is a very, very nice thing to to, to, to watch, even a little bit off the bounce. He doesn't create too much for himself um, in terms of just like breaking down the defense in front of him and handling the ball and all that kind of stuff. I, I feel like you could rarely find clips like that. But even when he's been playing off the bounce in terms of the mid-range pull-up, in terms of obviously guys chase you off the line, but there might be space in the middle, um, 46% shooter off the bounce. That's pretty damn good as well. You can definitely tell he's got a good touch um on the shot and yeah i mean there's threes obviously at the college level the three-point line is shorter um but you've seen him make deep threes as well with with some pretty good consistency so i think number one like you know he is going to be a good shooter and and bobby 
said um, in terms of the guys that he's worked out and, and Grady did get to Toronto and worked out, you know, he, Bobby's assessment. And of course, you're going to say this, obviously, after, you know, selecting him in the draft. But Bobby's assessment was like we, we had him at a different tier than the other guys in terms of the shooters. And the Raptors had other shooters available in that moment. There were a lot of guards, as we sort of anticipated around number 13. Um, you know, a guy like Kobe Bufkin, who I've talked about on this program a couple of times, including earlier today, um, you know, on the Daily Show, you know, he was available. Uh, he ultimately went 15th to Atlanta. But, um, you know, I know Kobe came to Toronto for a couple of workouts twice, actually. So there was a chance that potentially they could have gone with him. But again, I, I think the fit with Grady makes sense, right? Like it's a guy who, you know, addresses the weakness that the Raptors have. And even though it's, um, I would say, more of a specific pick rather than what the Raptors have done, which is sort of take amorphous athletes and try to impart skills upon them and teach them to be, you know, better, craftier players and almost teach them the game, I feel like Grady comes more prepackaged in the sense that he already has an established skill set. You're trying to build off of that. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I it, it makes sense on the other hand. And, and again, if you can get an established shooter – you know, look, you're, you're, you're getting a rookie, so that's already guaranteed four years that you have control over the player and then you have restricted rights over them. If you get a player who can come in and contribute as early as year one, but definitely by year two, year three, year four, because they have an established skill that is very valuable at the current NBA level, you know, that's pretty damn good because shooting is very expensive. Um, and, and shooting, obviously, is a commodity. So you get, you're getting a really premium shooter. Um, a couple of things, too. Uh, that I was watching a um, friend of the program, Adam Spinella, who I had him on um, a couple weeks ago to talk about the draft. So I was watching his videos uh, on YouTube, uh, which if you haven't seen it already, check it out. The Box and One is, is a really good resource. And one of the stats I saw in there just like jumped out at me. Um, apparently, Grady has only taken two shots in isolation all year last year playing at Kansas. And he played the whole season. He was healthy the whole time. He took two shots in isolation all year. And I feel like that, number one, obviously speaks to his current skill set in the sense that he's not much of a shot creator, right? Um, you know, there, there are shot creators in terms of having the ball, shot creators off the ball. I would say he's got more shot creation working off the ball. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, when, when you think about it, just two isolations all year, I think that's a positive trait. I clearly he's a guy who knows his role. Um, and yeah, even as a very highly touted player coming into uh, you know, Kansas as a freshman, you know, he didn't really overstep his bounds, sort of played off of the other guys. And I can see that translating to the next level in the sense that he's not going to be a guy you look to give him the ball with short shot clock and let him create. Um, you know, he's a guy who's going to be able to function off of the movement of other players. And, you know, in thinking about, again, how how this will fit, I, I kept thinking about um, the way San Antonio would use Jakob Pertl uh, and whatever, the, the Spurs weren't winning because they were obviously trying to get Victor, which they obviously succeeded tonight. Um, but when you go back and watch a lot of what Jakob Proto was able to do, there's a lot of dribble handoffs, a lot of high post actions, and there's a lot of movement shooting around him, specifically with a guy like um, Doug McDermott, who uh, was very much able to uh, work that two-man game with Jakob Proto, and, and not just like, you know, hunt for his own shots, but also sort of create activity and, and stretch and pull the defense elsewhere. And I, and I, when he came to Toronto, you saw very little of that with Yak. When you saw him facilitating, it was mostly that flex action with 
OG, you know, getting a back screen and cutting for a dunk. And that's cool. That's obviously a play that you can run, you know, once in a while and maybe once per game you can even catch teams um, sleeping with that. But at the same time, you know, you want to see more movement shooting. And I, and I definitely wanted to see more of it from Fred, off from Gary. I think those guys can move without the ball. Um, but I think it's also like, look, when you think about movement shooting and, and making quick decisions like that, you also want somebody with a little bit more height and size because you can get your shot off a little bit easier. And I think that's where Grady probably has a, a higher upside as a movement shooter as compared to a guy like, you know, Gary, who's shorter or, or a guy like Fred, who's obviously very short. So um, I'm looking forward to see how that meshes with with uh, with with Yak. Obviously, the, the concern is just like how much more does he do? Right. So he has one main skill. He's able to build off of that skill. Obviously, shooting is so important nowadays that you can add additional things to your game just based on your threat as a shooter. And I'm very confident that Grady is able, who's going to be able to translate that to uh, the next level in terms of his shooting, in terms of his movement, in terms of his shooting off uh, off of movement, which is going to be very important. Um, but the concern is like, what are the other skills that you're going to bring, right? And I think number one, you know, there will be concerns on defense. Again, I, I do think he's handsy and he's able to, you know, make good reads. He's not a passenger off ball. I, I sort of really dislike when players sort of just switch off defensively when they're not involved in the play. He does make the rotations. He's, he's looking to make, um, you know, a nuisance of himself. I think one-on-one defense, that's where it's, it's tricky. And even just watching the film, and again, I'll definitely watch a lot more. And we'll try to talk to his coaches and talk to his people. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get to know this kid. But one of my initial takeaways is just looking at him. It's like it doesn't feel like he's confident on the defensive end. So sometimes he'll jump ahead of the play just so that he can sort of um, maybe protect for the fact that or compensate for the fact that he doesn't have a quick first step or that he doesn't, you know, there's no quick burst or, or, or about him or that the fact that, you know, he, he's a bit of a slim build um, and, and not particularly strong either. So, again, when you feel like you don't – when you don't really feel like you um, – can physically guard, then maybe you try to do a couple of things to try to outsmart. And, and I think right now, um, that even at the college level, I don't think he was a positive defender. And so at the next level, definitely people will be looking to isolate against them. But at the same time, like that's something that they can build. I think sometimes that also comes down to, you know, what kind of team are you playing with? And I'm not familiar enough with Kansas to know if they had lots of great rim protection or what their specific strategies were. Did they play a lot of zone? It's college basketball. They probably played a lot of zone, but I can see that as sort of a way to hide him. Um, but defensively, you know, he's going to have to take more responsibility on that end. And, um, you know, as an individual defender, you're going to need to defend your your position. There really is no um, negotiating on that front. And if he can't, that's going to really limit his path towards minutes on the floor, regardless of what he does positively offensively. Uh, I, I think number two, too, with him is um, – you know, the playmaking and all the other aspects. Now, I think, you know, Bobby mentioned that he's a high IQ player, um, that, uh, you know, the IQ stood out, you know, that he, he is a passer as well. Um, you know, when, look, obviously it wasn't necessarily translating the high assist numbers. I don't see him as a player who has the ball in his hands all that much. In fact, you probably want him spacing off ball anyway. Um, but, 1.7 assists per game in Kansas uh, against 1.3 turnovers. So we're, we're looking at, what, 60 turnovers against 45, uh, 60 assists against 45 turnovers. So, you know, obviously not a guy who is consistently creating. But at the same time, I think creating is, is, is also just comes down to how effective he is as a shooter and also how much he's able to move within the system because he will be able to you know, pull the defender and keep them honest. And the way he moves with the ball is going to determine 
and um, how many opportunities are there for his teammates. Because again, if he establishes himself as a shooter and he's able to move, then he'll typically draw a lot of attention coming off of those screens. Just thinking of the way the Miami Heat would use a guy like Duncan Robinson or use a guy like Gabe Vincent or use a guy like Max Strews or Tyler Hero. Like they have a lot of those type of guys. I envision the Raptors, you know, if they want to get the best out of Grady, both short-term and long-term, you know, employing a lot of those off-ball actions and be- making a lot of their guys into distributors, um, you know, to, to pair with the fact that, you know, a guy like Grady is going to have, I even want to say gravity because that makes it sound like he's Steph Curry or something. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, he, he is going to be able to move and guys are needing to guard him because he's going to be able to shoot from from well, well far out. So those are things that, um, you know, we will see. Uh, because again, you do run the risk of it being a little bit one-dimensional. And I do think about in terms of like, okay, so you brought Grady in, uh, I I think again, it makes sense based on the players that were available there. Um, you know, personally, I probably would have gone with Kobe anyway, just because I think the Raptors also need more ball handling in addition to the fact that they need more shooting. But I, I don't really have any qualms about the pick. I mean, we always complain about the Raptors not valuing shooting. Again, I've asked Bobby on, on record. I've asked Masai on record. I've asked, you know, Nick Nurse on record before. Obviously, he was let go. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've asked Darko on record as well, actually, when I interviewed him um, on the day that he was un- unveiled in, in Toronto. You know, do you believe you can develop shooting? And, you know, obviously, they're, they, they, they do think so to the degree, but at the same time, that's been the biggest weakness in the team, right? They're just one of the weakest three-point shooting teams in the league. And one man is not going to fully change that. But at the same time, you know, I, I do think that getting somebody with already a high established skill level um, is going to obviously give you more of a chance to um, develop and build upon that. Right. It's one thing to take a guy to come in and teach them to shoot and make them shoot a thousand jumpers. And maybe they get to a point where they're a good standstill shooter. Um, like OG is a good standstill shooter, right? But when you got a guy like Grady who already is very rehearsed in terms of his footwork, the way he chops his steps, the way he's able to, you know, curl and, and take good angles around screens and also set his feet and all that other kind of stuff, that that's a different level. And I think that's a different level of reps that, uh, you know, you need to build in even, even well before you get to the league. Um, so, you know, that gives me, you know, promise. In terms of his background, I think it, it, it looks encouraging. There's a couple of videos out there if you really want to see it. Um, you know, there is a day in the life with, with uh, Grady, Grady Dick from when he was in high school. Um, and, you know, that those are always kind of cool. Um, looks like a really good ping pong player, which is, um, you know, always impressive to me. But that's probably just because I'm Chinese and I like to play ping pong. But, I mean, it looks like a pretty good ping pong player. Good, good hand-eye coordination. Um at least from just watching him play one game of ping pong. I mean, look, you you can you can tell if a guy's good at ping pong just even watching him play for a couple of rounds. Uh, what else about him? Oh yeah, his mom was a, a really established and really accomplished player um, uh, at Iowa Iowa State. Um, his mom, Carmen. That's I was thinking about her name. Carmen uh, was a forty point per game scorer as a senior, like. That's really impressive. That is really, really impressive. So she really kind of taught Grady um, how to shoot. Now, I think back in the day, obviously, you weren't shooting the threes as much. And so, um, you know, there wasn't necessarily that profile from her game. But at the same time, like, you know, she was really able to instill that and sort of teach that craft, which is always really cool. You know, you always hear about, you know, players learning from their dads and all that kind of stuff. Like, the, it, it's it's always very cool when the moms are, are really involved. And the fact that her mom, his mom scored 40 a game as a senior for Iowa State. That is really impressive. So, um, 
yeah, I'm sure, you know, he comes from a good background in terms of just having played a lot of sports and, and especially in terms of basketball. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, really curious to see, uh, you know, how his game, you know, adapts and translates and, and grows. Because, again, I, I do think that, number one, shooting is going to get you on the floor. Shooting is going to get you on the floor, especially when you can get to average on defense, right? That already gets you a, a point where you can play 15, 20 minutes um, just based on that alone. If you're a consistent shooter and you're able to, you know, move without the ball and there's there's that aspect and you're able to be okay defensively. And by the way, right now, I can't even assume he's going to be okay defensively at the next level. Um, but if you're able to get to that, there is a really clear path. And it's not sort of like, you have to imagine Delano adding like five or six new skills and getting more awareness and all that kind of stuff so that he can get onto the floor or even Precious, you know, have to really imagine like a couple more things that he would need to add to his game so that he can be a good offensive player um, on a consistent basis. You don't necessarily have to imagine that as, as much with Grady Dick. It's it's much, very much like a one, I don't even say one dimensional. Cause I think that's, that's maybe unfair and kind of limiting to him. And I don't think he would agree. And I don't think the coaching staff or the, or the executives would agree to that. But there is a very, like, linear path to how he could get onto the floor. And I do think that, you know, that is – maybe it's not the most sexy idea, I would say. Like, you know, it's not like you draft Kobe Bufkin, you can imagine him becoming, like, a superstar or maybe even an all-star or maybe even a starting-level point guard, which obviously allows him to do a lot of other sort of um, things in his game. But at the same time, like, I could also see a much more direct path to a guy like grading, succeeding – um, because of the, the the clarity in his role, and I think yeah, I mean, in terms of size wise, I mean, I should have probably mentioned this up top, but yeah, he's like what six foot eight with a six foot eight wingspan, so not a not a plus wingspan guy. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you compare that to like a guy like Luke Kennard, for example, Luke Kennard's like six six um, with a six five wingspan, and and I do think that those kind of things matter. Um, now I think Luke Kennard's definitely a much better ball handler than than Grady Dick, but at the same time, you know, I think that extra bit of size. Helps. I think size wise, probably closer to like a Kyle Corver when you think about it. Like Kyle Corver was like six eight. Um, and you know, probably I mean, no one's ever looked up Kyle Corver's wingspan. I don't think it really matters. But I, I do think Grady's gonna be able to get his shot off. He's not a smaller player. And again, that 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 the lack of a dip on the shot really again really makes that thing really quick. Where, you know, when you look at guys that the Raptors have had in this profile, let's say like a Matt Thomas. Like, I just didn't feel like Matt was able to get his shot off most times. I wasn't really even that willing to shoot. And so, listen, you, you know, especially if you're going to be there as a shooter, um, A, you can't really be in a position to turn down shots, but B, you need to be able to get your shot off. And I do feel like, you know, there is a d- tangible difference with a guy like Grady. But again, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, it seems like a personality as well. Everyone's already seen the pictures of his his draft day suit. It's, I mean, padded on the shoulders. Um you know, a tribute to the Wizard of Oz, you know, his his, his Kansas upbringing. And um, yeah, he seems like a personality. There's a lot of TikToks out there of him. Um, I mean, he's a kid. Uh, he's like, what, 19 years old in 2023. He's, there's gonna be a lot of TikToks. Uh, but, you know, he seems like a bit of a personality as well, but uh, seems pretty um, composed when he speaks uh, on camera. I think, uh, you know, he's well media trained in that aspect and um you know obviously there's there's going to be one way that you're going to be professionally versus one way you're going to be with your friends um but at the same time like you know it, it seems to check a lot of the boxes um in terms of what the raptors really needed again i, I think it's the biggest thing is just it's a bit of a surprise based on the fact that the raptors have always drafted in a different way um and to see them cut back in this direction is gonna 
is uh is is really cool. So I'm looking forward to learning more about him in general. Um, again, the draft itself, I'm not seeing too much more activity in terms of what Toronto has been able to do. Um, there was maybe some talk about them adding uh, another second round pick, but it doesn't really seem like that's happening all that much. Um, you know, certainly there isn't uh, any news as of right now. You could probably see them drafting or, or taking some undrafted players. That's sort of been their MO. We'll see if those guys just get training camp invites or if they get just summer league invites. You know, there, there might be some other guys to add in now. But um, for right now, the Raptors have taken Grady Dick, and uh, that is draft night. Now, I wanted to touch on a couple other things before I go. Like, Definitely, there was a lot of talk about the tra- uh, you know, this draft and how much activity there's going to be. And you saw all these teams maybe potentially entertaining conversations before moving up in the draft or moving down in the draft. You actually saw very little of that in a meaningful way. In terms of within the lottery itself, it was just a trade that Dallas was able to orchestrate, where they were able to move up and down a, a, a little bit. Um, you know, even what the the trade between Washington and Indiana to flip flop seven and eight. That was basically like an Anton Jameson, Vince Carter style deal from back in the day where, you know, you just take the guy that you the other team wants to take slightly ahead of them and then you trade back um, just for a little marginal gain, in this case, some second round picks. So you didn't really see any of the significant activity, right? Nobody went into Charlotte and offered them Zion Williamson and, and, and they got the second round, uh, the second overall pick. That didn't happen. Um, all the palace intrigue about number two turns out ESPN had it right the whole entire time in terms of Brandon Miller was the favorite there and he goes number two to Charlotte um, number three to Portland you didn't hear any news about it and and you know obviously Bobby was asked about it outright he wasn't going to say anything um, about it but you know as my understanding and also having talked to a couple other people you know for example Grange or or Jake Fisher about this very topic on the show earlier this week those conversations really seem to not be that strong and in fact Portland didn't give up that third pick at all um and they just went ahead and took um Scoot Henderson so you know those opportunities didn't necessarily seem like they were that real and again it reminds me a lot of what my side said at the trade deadline is everyone talks a lot about this and that but when it comes down to you know um the actual deadline day itself, or in this case, the actual draft day itself, then how many of those deals get consummated? I don't really know. Again, this is why I feel like torturing yourself with all these like trade rumors and, and, and not to say that you're like debating them to death, but like, you know, get building so much expectation and putting all these things into these um, assessments and, you know, judging that judging sort of your, I don't know, confidence in the front office based on all these things about the hearsay. It's like, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want to say it's pointless, but I do feel like it, it definitely builds, it always brings you up or or it brings you down. And then it brings you down to reality when it act- when the whole thing actually takes place. And again, like probably 10%, maybe even 5% of what gets reported actually does happen um, in terms of the speculation. But look, I mean, you know, there were opportunities you would you would suppose like, Atlanta was interested in Pascal. Pascal was, you know, he wants to stay here. I think that's pretty clear. Um, I have that on pretty good knowledge as well. Um, he's interested in the extension here in Toronto, not just because of the money. I think there's other connections here as well. And, you know, that actually got put out there. Like there was uh, the report from Chris Haynes um, earlier today, a couple hours before the draft, that Pascal Siakam, um, that team's, who were interested in trading for Pascal, they were not going to get an assurance from Pascal that he would sign an extension there, which was interesting because I saw a lot of people essentially mad at this idea of like, Oh my God, 
how how would Pascal do this? He blew up my 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 mock trade idea, and I was just like, ultimately, we have a player who really really is a accomplished, a b like has put a lot of work into it, c has exceeded all expectations of him, especially coming in as a twenty seventh overall pick that really no one knew. I mean, when the Raptors drafted Pascal, I was so disappointed. I remember that draft day. I was like, oh my god, Scalabissier was still on the table, or like Deontay Davis was still on the table. I couldn't believe the Raptors. You know, pass up on these guys. Turns out Pascal arguably is the best player in that draft, period. But also, like, you know, the things that he's accomplished in terms of making all stars or making all NBA teams or, you know, winning the championship, which is obviously the biggest thing, winning most improved. So he's exceeded those expectations and he wants to stay in Toronto. So again, I, I'm not saying that, like trade proposals are poisoning your mind or that you, you have to have a poison mind to want to change up the roster. I'm not saying that at all. But it is like, it's like when you, or I guess steeped in this idea day after day after day about like this trade rumor and, and you know what this means and this trade rumor and what this means and then at the end of it you get a you get a result where it's like a Pascal's not going anywhere and b that he's actually help making sure that he doesn't go anywhere or at least dissuading other teams because any team who was trading for him would want an assurance that he would sign an extension there or be open to staying long term there for him to like actively push to stay in Toronto. Um, and for that to be met with a negative reaction was just, I mean, I suppose that, that again, that just might be where we are right now, right? We were inundated in this, in this concept. I understand that that's probably a lot of what the interest in this particular show is and that this daily content and we react to these rumors. It's not like we don't invite these things to, I mean, we, you know, when we have Grange on, when we have Jake Fisher on, when we have whoever on, we do ask them for their, you know, their, what they're hearing on the scuttlebutt and, and, and that's all really part of the experience i get it i understand but um it is kind of funny to see a player and, and toronto's best player objectively say I, I pretty much out loud to other teams i won't sign an extension with you guys because i want to stay in toronto and for that to be met with um negativity was 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 kind of funny but in any case the raptors did not make any moves um you know it seems very much like they wanted to add Grady specifically to complement this group. And that doesn't mean that they can't make other moves. You know, um, you know, we'll see again, uh, Jakob Pertl is a free agent. Fred's a free agent. That, that, those things can really affect things. But, you know, based on where I stand right now, it does seem more likely that the Raptors do maybe what is prudent, but also probably what is l- less imaginative and just bring back the group. And again, if, if you really wanted to critique the idea, potentially um, you you would say that it's like, oh, you know, this is sort of a bit of an unimaginative pick in addition to the fact that the, the way they're approaching this roster and potentially going into free agency. And again, we'll see what happens, but the more likely outcome is that they bring the same group back. It, it, it might look all in totality as sort of like, you know, not so creative. But at the same time, I think it depends on what options are truly out there. And I don't mean like speculative Zion Williams is going to potentially go to Charlotte for number two or like Pascal might go to, Portland for number three or all that kind of stuff. Like we're talking about real kind of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of any of the deals that were consummated, I didn't think there was anything that Toronto could have jumped in on particularly, or that I'm upset that it didn't, you know, go into those in terms of the pick itself. Um, you know, I, I, I was kind of, I was kind of curious because it, the options were there. Like you saw what Bilal Koulibaly jumped up in the draft and, and man, he really jumped because going seventh overall is, is really impressive for a guy who um, was less of a known commodity, uh, even a couple months ago before his, his, his uh, stock and his uh, profile really increased. 
obviously playing alongside a Wemby really helped, but, you know, clearly just has a lot of talent there. Um, you know, and, you know, Derek Lively jumped up as well to, to, to Dallas and, and that pushed a lot of these guards back in towards the draft. And it got to a point where in those five minutes before the Raptors were making their pick and obviously no, no leaks from Shams, you know, if you see any major leaks from the Raptors, you'll definitely see it from Woj. Um, you know, that's just, again, the front office has a closer relationship with Woj than they do with Shams. Um, but like you, you didn't see any reporting, obviously that leaked out of it. It was very similar to a couple of years ago when the Raptors took Christian Coloco or when the Raptors took, uh, you know, you know, Scotty Barnes, same kind of deal. Um, but in those five minutes, I was thinking, I was like, man, there's a lot of guys here. I like, like, you know what I mean? Like I would have been pretty cool with them, you know, going with, 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 with Kobe Bufkin, or if they took Grady Dick, I was completely cool with that too. Um, you know, there were, there were lots of these guards available. I, I liked Keontae as well. And, and, you know, he went, um, you know, in the, in the late teens as well, even a guy like Brandon Pajemski, I think probably would have been a little bit high to, to reach for him at 13, but not too high. I mean, like he went 19, right? So a lot of these guys, I was thinking like, you know, the Raptors have a lot of good options. And I think ultimately they took probably what is the most sure thing in terms of you can project this, this player who, you know, has a pretty established track record as well. It's not like the Raptors took somebody completely obscure. It's the opposite. Grady Dick's a very known commodity. Um, you know, he was well-recruited. Uh, he, you know, was uh, McDonald's All-American, went to the Nike Hoop Summit, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it, it's pretty clear who he is um, in terms of anybody following the draft or anybody following scouting in general would know already of his profile. This isn't Bruno Caboclo that they drafted from the second division in Brazil. Um, like, you know, that's the decision that the, that's the direction they ultimately went. So I'm looking forward to learning more. Um, you know, I, I, again, I'm not trying to like typecast him as a player, but I think it's also fairly clear what his path in the league is going to look like. And, um, we'll see in the morning if there are more undrafted signings, certainly there will be time and attention given to those. And I look forward to seeing, um, who the Raptors bring in, in in that regard. But uh, for now, the Raptors have taken Grady Dick, number 13 overall. They've probably taken another step towards sort of um, building around this current group, although I, I wouldn't say that this pick alone is going to determine the direction of the team or even tip the direction of the team. I don't I don't think that that's, necess- that's the case. It's clearly, you can pivot in any direction um, and still have a guy who's a really good shooter at number 13, but... They've added shooting, um, that addresses a weakness. And, you know, I would say for all the excitement and all the speculation going into the draft, I think the Raptors actually did the most straightforward and sensible thing with their pick. So um, looking forward to connecting with Grady more often. Um, you know, he will be uh, unveiled, I believe, next Monday is the plan. Um, so, you know, we'll take the weekend and then obviously there will be more photo ops and interviews. And we, we talked to him through Zoom, but it was a little awkward, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to see him. We'll get to see him at summer league. We'll get to see what the Raptors do with the rest of their, uh, free agency period. And, um, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the team is actually going to be on the floor because after all the speculation, it is kind of nice to have something to really tangibly key in on. So look forward to watching a, a whole bunch of Grady Dick jumpers. Uh, I already see a ton of jokes flying around online. I suppose that's unavoidable. Um, and yeah, you know, just enjoy it. Welcome him to the city. He seems like a really personable kid and, uh, it'd be cool to get to know him. So thanks for listening again. We will have uh, more programming, uh, on Friday when we do, uh, the daily show from two to 3 PM. 
So look out for that then. We'll try to get you guess and, and get you closer insight into who Grady Dick is and also what type of player he is because I don't want to be a pretend to be an expert. I mean, I've just been watching film on this guy for like the last like hour or so, but that's hardly enough to really know him beyond sort of what a cursory level would be. So I look forward to digging more into that. So thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, yeah, finally, Grady Dick, welcome to Toronto.